You're listening to The 66, a podcast in which we survey the Bible one book at a time. We have been through several books now, and we're ready to take on a real challenge, but also a book of the Bible that I'm very excited to dig into and learn about, and that's the Gospel According to John. Uh, We haven't done a Gospel account yet. Um, We've been kind of holding back on that and also trying to get some under our belt. Uh, This, of course, would be one of the lengthiest projects we've undertaken so far. Have we done a book longer than John yet? I don't think we have. No. Well, Isaiah. But that yeah, was but that's before. not official. Yeah. That was our practice run on <laughs> Isaiah. But yeah, that was definitely longer. But with Isaiah, we weren't committed to covering every verse. And I think with John, we'll at least survey every verse. Mm-hmm. We're not promising to read every verse. I think it's going to be the most challenging book so far that we've taken on. Most definitely. But John, I guess if I had to pick my favorite book in the Bible, it would be John. And uh, I I just um, think it's something that every time you read it, the Gospel of John just blows you away and opens your eyes to new truths. One of the things I like about John is he uses very simple vocabulary, but he puts it together in such a mind-blowing way. Whenever I was studying Greek, and we were talking right before the podcast started about Greek and how you studied this in Greek class also, I was expecting us to start translating with the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. Mm -hmm. But uh, instead we start with the epistles of John. And I was taught that the reason for that is that John has the simplest vocabulary. But don't make the mistake of thinking that simple vocabulary equals simple to understand. That's far from true. Uh, There's some things, especially in today's episode, that's just, you know, you you can think about it for your whole life and not understand all that is entailed in it. Yeah, the first three verses. Yeah. The very first three verses. The first verse. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. so let's say some things by way of introduction on John and the Gospel of John, and then we'll we'll get into the to the first portion of the text that we're going to cover. Uh, well, let me say something about the podcast. We're not sure. We've talked about if we have time, because this is a lengthy project. Maybe doing two episodes a week. Yeah. Uh, I probably shouldn't have said that because I don't know if we're going to do that or not. But I'd like to do that because. I don't want to be doing John, you know, into the middle of this year. Yeah. We, we've we got this uh, goal of covering all 66 books. Mm-hmm. And if we spend the next quarter on John, or two quarters on John, yeah. uh, we're never going to get done with the project. But John is one of those books that I feel like you just can't, you know, you can't skip too much. That is uh, true. So it's going to be a real challenge in how we're going to survey this book. Now, John, of course, was one of the apostles of the Lord, and he wrote five books of the New Testament. John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation being the most different from the others. uh, You see a lot of similarities in the epistles and the gospel according to John. Another thing that we could say by way of introduction to the gospel of John is that it is different from the other three gospel accounts. Yes. Um, 
The other three gospel accounts are called synoptic gospel. Uh, soon, uh, coming from a Greek word, soon meaning together, optic having to do with seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so they see Matthew, Mark, and Luke see the gospel together. They kind of mm-hmm. tell the same stories, go over the same ground, cover the same teachings. You know, there are definitely differences between the three. And I believe they have different emphases, but they are not as different from one another as they are from John. It is believed that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written early, and John was written at the end of the first century. So John, I'm sure, was familiar with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He had seen those, and he had some reason for writing a fourth perspective on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll get into that uh, later in more detail. But for now, I want to start near the end of the Gospel of John with what is believed by everybody to be the theme of the book. And that's in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Here's what it says, and you can take this as the summary of the Gospel according to John. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's, that was John's goal. That's why he wrote the book. That's what he wanted to get across. And you can say, well, I'm sure Matthew, Mark, and Luke also wanted people to believe that Jesus was the Son of God and have life by that belief. Mm-hmm. But John was really focused, really focused. And one of the things that illustrates his focus is the choices that he made in the miracles that he included. There are only seven. He doesn't refer to them with the word miracle, but rather with the word sign. There are only seven of them. Seven, of course, is a very symbolic number, symbolizing divine perfection. So I don't think it's an accident that he chose seven. Yeah. Uh, these aren't the only miracles he was aware of. He says in the very last verse of the book that there were many other things that Jesus did, where every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So he's making choices here, and he's choosing these miracles or signs to, broadly speaking, show that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. But then also they are truly signs, meaning they're pointing to a truth. They're, they're saying something. And we'll note how each of these signs in the gospel according to John reveal some truth. You know, just to illustrate what I'm talking about, Jesus says, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. And then in John 9, he gives a man sight who's been born blind. So the the granting of vision to a blind man illustrates how Jesus is the light of the world, the truth Mm -hmm. of the world. So uh, this is uh, the kind of thing that John likes. John likes metaphor. He likes poetry in action. Uh, He is a a wonderful writer and adds a lot to it. You know, I think at the end of it, everybody would agree, this is definitely a book that needed to be written, even though we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mm -hmm. We needed John. Now, most people put it this way. They say, well, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, Mark was written to a Roman audience, Luke to a Gentile audience, and John had a broader scope in mind writing to the whole world. 
And I think, you know, that's a simplification, but I think that's a pretty good way of putting it. So um, that's, you know, for the purposes of this podcast, that's pretty much all I want to say by way of introduction, unless there's something that you want to add that that I left out. I left a lot out. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I just... The biggest thing for me is definitely to note the fact that it is going to be a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And like you said, one of the biggest things is his focus on the deity of Christ. And, right. you know, he's got those seven I am statements, which I didn't even think about until you just mentioned, you know, he mentions those seven signs and seven yeah. being a very symbolic number. On top of that, you know, you have those seven I am statements. Right. So John, to Highly me, structured. Oh, yeah. It's. John is a very intriguing writer, I guess, is for me at least. Yeah. Um, I've heard many people say, you know, this is my favorite book of the Bible. So I think this is going to be a very popular part of the podcast. There may be some books that people want to skip over, but I think a lot of folks are going to be listening as we cover through John. Now, we're just going to cover the prologue in this podcast, in this episode which is chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. A short portion of Scripture, and we'll probably wind up reading the whole thing. But I'm going to divide it up this way. First of all, we're going to look at Christ at creation. And then secondly, we're going to see Christ in the world. Uh, You know, you could say it this way as well. And this is probably a better way to divide it up. Uh, Christ before time, and then Christ in time. So that's that's how we're going to look at it. So let's look at the verses applying to Christ before time in uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We'll stop right there for a moment. I'm not going to say a whole lot about it just yet, but I do want to point out that none of this is coincidental. You know, we talked about the seven signs, not a coincidence. The seven I am statements, not a coincidence. Well, here's another thing that's not coincidental, that John begins the same way the Bible begins. The first verse of the Bible is, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. And this book begins, in the beginning was the Word. That's not accidental. You know, John wanted us to be thinking about the week of creation whenever he said those three words, in the beginning. He's wanting us to think, and I'm told, I haven't checked this, but the I'm told that the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is exactly the same as the beginning of the Gospel of John. In other words, the same Greek words are used in the Greek translation of Genesis 1-1 that are used here. So John is signaling to us to think back on that week when God created the world and know that Jesus, the Word, was there. Now, we'll explain why John calls Jesus the Word in a little bit. I think we'll save that for the second part of the podcast. But for now, just note that in verse 14, the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us, and He's called the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So there can be no doubt that the Word we're reading about here in John chapter 1, verse 1, is Jesus Christ. Uh, That can be firmly established 
by reading on down further in chapter 1. Uh, what else do we want to say before we move on to Jesus' end time? You know, this is a, the story of the pre-existent Christ, which is yeah. a subject not covered very much at all in other parts mm-hmm. of the Bible. Uh, it is acknowledged by Paul, of course, in Colossians 1, mm-hmm. verses 15 and following. So it's not, it's not an outlandish, crazy idea that only John thinks about. There are even references to Jesus um, in the Old Testament, possibly, as the angel of the Lord. And in Genesis 1, God is saying, let us make man in our own image, using the plural pronoun. So you know that it's more than just a Unitarian God that we're looking at here. It's It's a triune God, or the Trinity, who is at work in creation according to Genesis chapter 1. However, John is the one that just spells it out for us that Jesus existed before the world was created. Jesus existed before Mary gave birth to him as a human being. Mm-hmm. Jesus existed before time. He was yeah. the Word, and he was with God, and he was God. Yeah, there's a little more on that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, the writer here is talking about Jesus and says, Thou, Lord, in the beginning didst, did lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. Mm-hmm. So there's, like you said, this isn't just John's idea. There's uh, definitely other evidence in the New Testament, also some from the Old Testament. Uh, it's pretty interesting mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm not, did you see that Bible series Yeah, that came on? I don't know if it's quite as much as that Bible series uh, played it up to be. But that's just because I simply haven't researched it as much. Um, but I know it would make for a good TV special to make, oh, Jesus was here and all these different Old Testament stories that you never mm-hmm. thought he was there for. Um, yeah, refresh my memory. I, there was um, one particular incident where it seemed that Jesus was present. Yeah. Was it Moses and, I mean, not Moses, um, um, Abraham entertaining yes. the guests and the 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 angel of the Lord that mourns him about Sodom and Gomorrah was yes. was that Yes that the was same Jesus. actor they don't they don't come out and say it, but it was the same actor that plays Jesus later, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think he's wearing you know, you can tell by the way he looks and what he's wearing that he is supposed to be Yeah Jesus. Or at least at least I could. You know Well it just you know, if if you believe Jesus is God, which John definitely does and you believe he is eternal, then is it really logical to think that in the first several millennia of the history of the earth, he was just, you know, napping up in yeah. heaven? It's just not logical to think that. Yeah. So this makes sense, what, what John is saying. And we want to say a lot more about his part in the Trinity and what is being said you know, in other parts of the podcast. But let me get into Jesus in time, which is the rest of uh, our reading for today, starting in chapter 1, verse 4. In him, that is, in the Word, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, 
we probably won't say more about those verses, so I'll stop right here to say okay. this John is not the author of the book. This is John the Baptist. Right. Uh, Jesus' forerunner. All right, let's continue reading verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Thus ends the prologue to the book. comes to our think section in the podcast, there is so much to talk about. We're going to have to restrain ourselves so that we don't go a full hour here. So uh, we'll we'll do the best that we can. Um, First, I want to talk about the concept of Jesus as the Word. You know, it's a really strange way to refer to Jesus, and I'm sure a lot of first readers who come to John without doing any uh, homework on it you know, they're just reading through and they see this character introduced at the beginning of John's Gospel as the Word, capital W, and they wonder, who in the world is this? It's obviously a person who would be known as the Word. Why would anybody use that, that title of himself? But uh, here it is, and uh, it's very clear that we're talking about Jesus from verse 14. So, why use this title, the Word? And uh, this is one case where we do need to go back into the Greek and understand something about the Greek term translated word because the yeah. Greek term is a lot richer than the English term. You know, the English term word yeah. is one of the driest words in, that I can think of. I mean, it just doesn't, it's just a, a, a symbol that has meaning behind it. That's what the word is. But word. Greek, yeah. <laughs> the, the Greek term, translated word, logos, is very rich with meaning. And it has, I would say, a Jewish background, a Greek background, and a Christian background. Yeah. Uh, there, and all three of those uh, cultures or tributaries kind of flow together into the full meaning of the word. Let's start with the Jewish concept of the logos. To the Jews, the Logos was God's powerful communication of himself mm-hmm. that has this transfer, transforming power. And you can think about uh, the creation week. And, of course, John oh, yeah. has given us a clue to this with the first words of his book, In the Beginning. He's, he's getting us to think about the creation of the world. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, God made the universe out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And how did he do that? He did it with... The word. He said, let there be light, 
and there was light. He said, let there be a firmament, let there be dry land, let there be vegetation, etc. And every time he spoke, something else incredibly new came into being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's uh, Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of Jehovah were the heavens made. So there you have another allusion to, I guess, the power of the Word of God. I I think that well encapsulates the Jewish concept of the Word. Mm -hmm. You know, just this comes into being through this powerful speaking. God spoke the universe into existence. Now, the Greeks had a slightly different idea about the Word. They saw the Word as the rational principle behind the universe. Mm -hmm. Uh. And we could illustrate that our word logic comes from this Greek word logos. Logic, logos. So Jesus is, from the Greek perspective, the logic behind the universe. The rational principle that explains all things. The only thing that keeps you know, the whole universe from being just absurd is Jesus. Yeah. Now there was a third tributary. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It looked uh, like you. Well, what you just said mm-hmm. sparked something to me. You said Jesus is the only thing that makes this just not totally absurd. Yeah. Uh, the guy that's responsible for this Greek concept of logos is Philo. Um, and I he, thought Philo was a Jew. He's a Hellenistic Jew. Oh, okay. So got the best a, of both worlds. Yeah. And so he's a guy that, like, yeah, like you said, he's got both cultures in his mind. Um, and he is the one apparently that's brought this. I'm looking at a commentary here. He is apparently the one that's brought this in, to the forefront of you know the reason that we're talking about today. Uh, but apparently, according to Kaufman, if you look in the encyclopedia, and where it's talking about Philo's writings on this word logos, he calls them self-contradictory because the way he teaches about logos um, says it's the reason of God. And it's an individual, but it's not um, all things like matter is eternal, but this reason behind the the reason of God is more eternal than matter. I mean, it's a lot of confusing stuff, and it says it's self-contradictory. And the thing that makes it work is, yeah, the only thing, that's the point, that, the exact point that he makes mm-hmm. is John came along, and he takes this word and actually makes a lot more sense of it. Mm-hmm. For the Greeks, so this idea of like the driving force behind creation as the logos, you know, mm-hmm. uh, apparently might not have been as nice and neat, uh, you know, as maybe we think it was. Uh, oh John yeah, it come was, along because I mean, just it was, it was very, uh, very ambiguous yeah, and interpreted in a variety it. of ways by the Greeks. I'm sure the Jews had a much more simplistic way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. The Greeks had this uh, rational principle, and that was explained in a variety of ways. I may even have some um, uh, quotes on that as well, and um, some work that I did on this. You know, uh, the the Gentiles. So um, Heraclitus identified the logos as the basis of order and continuity in a world of flow and flux. Hmm. Then you had uh, the Stoics, they saw it as the mind of God penetrating the universe to give it stability and coherence. So they had this idea of order that that was built into it. And I think about two things. When I think about the Jewish concept, I think about, you know, Genesis chapter 1. 
God speaking the world into existence. When I think about the Greek concept, it kind of reminds me of Hebrews 1, where in verses 1 through 3 we read that Jesus sustains the universe by the word of his power. Yeah. So, and also Colossians, in him all things hold together. So I would say that, you know, creation kind of describes the Jewish perspective of the word. And sustaining, or sustenance, holding together, Mm -hmm. describes the Greek concept of the word. To the Greeks, it was not really how it came into being, but how it stays together. And Jesus is both of that. He's both the the explanation and the origin of yeah. the universe. And there's uh, there's some pretty good stuff here in Kaufman, actually, about the way that this Greek idea of Logos differs from John's use of it. Uh, John proclaims that, you know, Logos is God. It is God. You know, it's not like a part of God or a reason of God. It is God. Uh, secondly, that it's actually a personal being. Yeah. And yeah, then... Yeah. Uh, Third, that it actually created everything. You know, it wasn't just a force behind it, it created it. And then last, uh, it became flesh and dwelt among people. So John really does take that idea of Logos. and Oh, he takes know, it in a totally new direction. Yeah, he Didn't adds it? a lot to it. If you're a Greek reading it, it's like, you know, maybe he takes that, that uh, idea behind the word, but then after you read it, you're like, oh my goodness. I guess. You know. Wait a minute. You know, yeah. there's a person who's the logos. You know. Yeah. Now the third tributary, and I'll just mention this real quickly, that um, really came after John was the Christian idea of the word. And the Christian idea of the word is the redeeming message of Christ Himself, and so all three of these kind of give you. And this is the way we use the word. You know, preach the word, mm-hmm. be in season, out of season. Yeah. You know. All that. So um, the Jewish, the Greek, and the Christian tributaries come together to give the full idea behind the word. And you you wonder, you know, which one did John have in mind? And I really think he had all three of them in mind. Mm-hmm. And I and I, this is something we're going to see about John. He is purposely ambiguous. He chooses words into which there's a lot of stuff packed in. And he does it on purpose because that facilitates meditation and thought and, and worship. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's what I believe was going on here with the title, The Word. Yeah. Now, now, let's related to that is the concept of the Trinity, which we get from verse 1. Because at the same time that John declares Jesus as God, he says he's with God. It would be one thing to say he's with God. We'd be, all right, you know, I can I can go with that. He's with God. And it's another thing to say that he is God. You say, okay, yeah. well, I can go with that. Jesus is God, so now I know who God is. But he doesn't just say one or the other. He says both of them. Mm-hmm. Jesus was with God, and at the same time that he was with God, he was God. Mm-hmm. And that just blows your mind. You're like, how does yeah. that work? There are two understandings of God in Christian, you know, uh, in the history of Christian thought. And it's the Unitarian versus the Trinitarian understanding of God. Biblically, the Trinitarian understanding is true. Uh, The Unitarian understanding, in my view, just came up from people that don't like concepts they can't wrap their mind around. Yeah. 
But, you know, I think if we're talking about God, He is going to be something we just can't wrap our mind around. Should be. Yeah. By its very definition, that's what it's... Yes. I mean, wrap your mind around eternity. Explain that. You know, nobody can explain that. But we seem more comfortable, for some reason, with eternity than the idea of the Trinity, which is three distinct persons in one divine essence. But, you know, I've, I've mentioned Wendell Berry before, and uh, he really pointed something out to me that was a powerful concept. I don't think he was talking about the Trinity, but he was talking about just things we don't understand and how people don't like things they can't understand. And he said, he said, understanding is the opposite of reverence. Understanding is the opposite of reverence. So the less I understand God, and I guess I should say the less I am able to understand God, the more I stand in awe of Him. So I want to challenge people not to be frustrated by the concept of the Trinity. You know, don't be frustrated. Look at it as an opportunity to to instill awe in your heart and reverence for Him. You want mystery in your God. Because if you understand Him, then you don't respect Him anymore. Yeah, because I'm just trying to think about something... You know, maybe as a kid, you really look up to, you know, this one person as your hero or whatever. But let's say, or, you know, maybe it's like a movie or something that just really has you in awe. Mm-hmm. And then you watch, like, the behind the scenes of how it's made. And you're like, yeah, oh, it takes away hard. from it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can do that. Or like seeing your favorite radio personality for the first time. They <laughs> never look the way they sound. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, you're just not as impressed. Yeah, uh, true. Which is, would not be the case if somebody's listening to our podcast. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sure we will blow away all expectations. Uh, but, yeah, this fact that Jesus is God is something, you know, we've had tons and tons of books written on. Um, but it's not something, you know, that's just John's idea, you know, you know, that you said earlier. It's not just John mentioning here that Jesus is God. You know, not that he's just with God or, you know, is around God. He is God. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, there's this uh, passage about the preeminence of Christ. And then starting in verse 15 in Colossians 1, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Some very similar language used here that John uses in John one about him being before all things, and uh, all mm-hmm. things are created through him. And he makes this statement, in him all things hold together. You know, all things, it kind of reminds me of, um, where's the, in him we live and move and have our being. Yeah, Acts 17. Yeah. Uh, where Sermon on Mars Hill. Yeah. Uh, Which was to a Greek audience, mm-hmm. by the way, and quoting from Greek poetry to, to get this principle across. So, it was something they talked about quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I debated on saying this, and we can cut this out of oh, here man. if we don't want to no. say it. But you know what this idea of the logos kind of reminds me of? No. I bet you do. You just don't want to say it either, so 
Uh, go. It's nerdy. It's nerdy? Yeah. For those of you that are listening, has ever seen... I can't believe I'm Oh, no. The Star Wars movies? Oh, okay. No, they have that idea of, like, the Force. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like this thing that the whole universe runs on that they figure out how to tap into. And this, this goes to a distinction that you made a while ago. The Force is kind of like Eastern mysticism because yeah. it's not it's not a person. Yeah. But but I think that that's Jesus, what I'm thinking of is John, just logos. John says the logos is not impersonal, it's personal. It's a person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, this person holds the whole universe together. Yeah. And the Stoics kind of had this may the force be with you attitude. <laughs> yeah. But um, you could have been nerdier than that, so oh. that's okay. I think. Okay, I just, I just felt that's weird from one up, nerd to another. But we were bringing up Star Wars in a discussion on the eternal nature of Christ. It's been done before. Well, we uh, can only uh, let's let's talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses because they're okay. not listening. <laughs> um, True. Well, let's talk about them for a second because what most non-Jehovah's Witnesses know about the Jehovah's Witness is that they have mistranslated this verse, John 1.1. 1, 1. Now, here's the way their translation reads. I've got, I've got a copy of it right here, the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. And it reads this way. In the beginning, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Little g on that last God. And they justify that translation saying that in the original Greek language, which John wrote, in the original, um, there is no definite article next to that last reference to God. Uh, so that that would be, you know, great if it wasn't for the fact that John rarely uses the definite article with theos, the word for God, in yeah. the whole first chapter. And we looked this up before the podcast. In verse 18, he doesn't use it, where John says, no one has ever seen God. Mm-hmm. They don't translate that literally, though. If you go down to to verse uh, 18, and I'll read that, they say probably the same thing. No man has seen God at any time. Capital G on God. No definite article there in the original Greek, yet for some reason they see fit to think of that as God. But when it has to do with Jesus, he's a God. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is God. Unless I'm mistaken, I believe their doctrine is that God created Jesus and then used Jesus to create the universe. Yeah. As kind of his agent. Yeah, and I think they might get that from a passage we just read, Colossians chapter 1, saying he's the firstborn of all creation. Yeah, yeah. But but firstborn meant a lot more than the first to be born. Yeah. In in that culture, you know, the firstborn was the most preeminent offspring. Yeah. And which is exactly the point that Paul's making. He's in all things, he is preeminent. Mm -hmm. Before everything holds it all together. And that's the point... Not first, you know, yeah, it didn't have to do with birth, but yeah. but position. Yeah. Position. And that's, you know, and so that I think is you're a right. theme that, here in John 1 also, because John's going to come along and say, you know, uh, this is he, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Yeah. I didn't say he was born before me, ranks before me because he was before me. Yeah, the he wasn't son. born at all. Yeah. And and you know we we can, we can talk about the inconsistencies of the use of the translation of the definite article or the absence of the definite article. But if you want to just I'd really simplify <laughs> this, look at verse three, and this is an argument that anybody can use. 
You don't have to know the Greek language to use this. Verse 3 begins, All things were made through him. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses could take that first part and say, Yes, all things were made through Jesus. God created Jesus, and then he used Jesus as his agent in creation. But John doesn't stop there. He continues saying this, And without him was not anything made that was made. So everything in the category of made was made, created, by Jesus out of Mm -hmm. nothing. Now, if you're going to claim Jesus himself was created, then you've come to the conclusion that Jesus created himself, which would be very hard for him to do, even Jesus. You know, that's impossible. That's absurd. So I think verse 3 puts the nails in the coffin of the idea that Jesus is not God. Jesus is God, and Johnny is saying that, and he doesn't just say it here, as we'll point out throughout the podcast. He says it over and over and over again in different ways, in wonderful ways, you know, just really interesting, fascinating ways throughout the Gospel account. And another thing to note, you know, we've got this New World translation that says that he was a God, and you don't have to know any Greek to just buy other translations and look or to get on yeah. BibleGateway.com, they are up against every other tra- major translation in English. Uh, and one of the best for something like this is Young's literal translation, uh, which is exactly what it says it is. It's very literal uh, as to what the Greek is. It reads weird. You know, it's mm-hmm. hard to read because it puts words in different order. Uh, and it says, the word was God. With a capital G. Not the yeah. word was a God or the word was godly. The word was actually God. Because that, that is literally what John is saying. Yeah. He doesn't have to have the definite article in every case to be talking about God with capital G. Yes. So I guess the takeaway from this, if anybody ever tries to tell you that Jesus is not God based on the lack of a, a Greek article, whoever says that to you doesn't know that much about Greek. Yeah. They, they just know, know just enough... You're going to say it. Yeah, they know just <laughs> enough about it to know what an article is and to know that it's not there. That's oh, it. I was I was going to use the old cliche. They know just enough Greek to be dangerous. Yeah. There so, you go. But, I don't even know that much, so yeah. we don't have to worry about it. Whatever, whatever. That's why we're not getting into the ins and outs. Of Let's talk about verse 18, the supposed Bible contradiction that the atheists have okay. on us. John right. says, no one has ever seen God. Moses did. Moses saw God. Jacob did. Jacob saw God. So, therefore, the Bible's not true. Wrong. Okay. Next. Uh, you know, that's that's one contradiction that people put out. Now, you know, if you're, you're not familiar with what we're talking about, in Genesis 32, Jacob's wrestling a man all night long, and then he realizes at the very end, oh, this wasn't a man, this was the Lord, and he praises God, I've seen the Lord and lived. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there are numerous occasions where Moses has some special relationship with God described in ways that suggest that he has seen God. Uh, He went up to Mount Sinai and spent 40 days with God. It is said of Moses that he spoke with God as a man speaks with his friend face to face. Uh, What's the other one? Uh, In Genesis 34, he goes up and because of his contact with God, his face is glowing. Um. What did I say? Genesis, I'm in Exodus 34. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exodus 34. And that, the, uh... Oh, oh. I don't want to jump too far ahead. Keep going, I think I'm jumping ahead. Well, 
when God comes 33? down on, well, I'm talking about the when he first comes down for the Ten Commandments, and he comes yeah. down on Mount Sinai and all that thunder, and the people, yeah. you know, they see the thunder, and they, uh, or I guess they hear the thunder, you know, see the thunder. They hear the thunder, they see the cloud, and it terrifies them. They hear the sound of the trumpet uh, also, and it, it terrifies them. And then they tell Moses, look, you talked, basically, obviously I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing, but they say, you talk to us for God, lest we hear the, the voice of the Lord again and die. Yeah. So it terrified them. And the full presence, the full glory of God, I think is what, you know, kind of what John's getting at here. And I don't want to jump ahead of where we no, are yeah. already, but you know we gotta. I think we gotta move anyway. So yeah, I think God's Go getting or God's getting. John is getting into more of this, the idea that no one has truly seen the full glory of God because the very next thing that John is going to say, uh, he's going to talk about the glory of God. Uh, he's well, here. I'll see where we are. Uh, well, while you're looking that up, okay. I was thinking of another example that people used to say that Moses saw God was when he was, after the incident with the golden calf, he's very discouraged and he asked God in Exodus 33, verse 12, uh, let me see your glory. Mm-hmm. And uh, God says, well, I'll show you, I'll, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, my goodness will pass by you and you will see my back, but my face you shall not see. He says in verse 20, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Mm-hmm. So John is not contradicting Jesus. Quite the contrary. I mean, contradicting Jesus. John is not contradicting Moses. He is agreeing with Moses. Moses is the one that said, you know, God told him no one's going to see my face and live. So yeah. what Jacob and Moses and maybe some others saw were forms that God took. But not the to interact true with mankind, but not yeah. full glory of God. Yeah, Jesus that, said God is spirit anyway. So any form that looks like a man, physically has the appearance of of a human being, is not the true form of God. Yeah, and I think that's what, what kind of what John's getting at. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse fourteen, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. So now we have seen the glory of God in this form of the Word, and the Word takes the form of flesh and dwells among us. Right, and, and John's point is not to talk about who has seen God and who hasn't seen God. Yeah. he He's wanting to t- us to see that if we want to know God, we've got to look at Jesus Christ. That's the point. And so I, that's why in verse 18, after he says no one has ever seen God, he says the only God who is at the Father's side, talking about Jesus, he has made him known. Mm-hmm. And literally, that is, he has uh, interpreted him. You know, we can learn God through Jesus. And what a what an inspiring picture of God we get when we look at Jesus Christ. Biggest and probably most obvious application for us to take away from this is just the plain and simple fact that Jesus is God. 
And, you know, we realize that's not an application like go home and do this or as soon as you stop listening to the podcast, do this. But, but it affects everything. Yeah. I mean, it. it's at the heart of everything that we do as a Christian. Yeah. So I'm not sure what could be more applicable to our lives than the fact, you know, the realization that Jesus is actually God. Without that realization, there, I guess there really can be no true Christianity. You know, uh, if we don't understand what's in Philippians um, about him emptying himself, and uh, taking the form of a servant, all that, all that is wrapped up in the fact that he is God, and he humbles himself to the point of being a man, and not just being a man, and not just becoming flesh, but as a man, he's not treated like a king, uh, or much less the king of kings. You know, he is tortured, as Philippians says, he's uh, tortured and put to death, even death on a cross. So, which which kind of you know it's a he is a personal God. We talked um, at some point about the difference between this and the Stoic philosophy of God as this impersonal force, you know, like like Star Wars, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what verse fourteen gets into when the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us and. We beheld him. You know, John was one of the apostles. He saw him. He beheld this glory of God in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So we we have a God here who cares enough to personally visit us. And not only that, but take on our nature of flesh and blood. And then, as you said from the Philippians passage, to die for us. Yeah. So... He, he gives, and we were going to separate all this into different practical applications, but I think it, it's really hard to do that with chapter 1 because John 1 is so well written and so deep. It just kind of flows from one thought to the other. And this this is this whole thing is basically a definition of God. Yeah. You know, it starts out general and gets very specific the word being flesh, and he works towards this climax in verse 18 that no one has ever seen God, but the only God who's at the Father's side, this is Jesus, he has made him known. So this works from the very general, the word was God, to if you want to see God, look at Jesus, not just some philosophical Jesus, not some mythological Jesus, but the flesh and blood historical Jesus that walked on earth, that is what God looks like, acts like, uh, relates like, that is mm-hmm. God. Yeah. And there are a lot of other passages in Scripture that make that point, such as Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, which calls Christ the image of the invisible God. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Hebrews 1 where he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It's a very difficult thing. You know, it has something to do with a seal. And you have the, um, the, the actual seal, and then you have the imprint of the seal. And one looks exactly like the other. Mm-hmm. That's how Jesus is with, with God. Yeah. And then there's also, we'll get to this whenever we get to that part of the book of John, but... 
You know, Philip says, show us the Father and that is enough for us. And Jesus says, you know, he's a little frustrated with Philip and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So all of this is really a practical application that, you know, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Yeah. Which is really, really encouraging. There are all kinds of ideas about God from him being this impersonal force to him being this wrathful, you know, tyrant in the sky that wants to do us harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to his being cruel and, and indifferent to the, to the pain that we suffer on earth. And then you have Jesus. And that is a picture of God that I find most, you know, most encouraging. If I weren't already a believer in Christ and I was introduced to religion all at once and somebody said, here, I'm going to put out a dozen religious faiths here and uh, you can choose whichever one you like best and here are the gods of each of these faiths. Now over here on Hinduism, they've got like a thousand gods, mm-hmm. but none of those gods are the, the true ultimate god. The ultimate god is this absolute impersonal force. Over here you've got Allah, you know, and and he has this character here. And here is the god of Shinto, which is kind of a a natural god. You know, in other words, all these world religions are laid out. Which god would I choose if I were just choosing the one I prefer? Mm -hmm. Just putting, taking truth out of it and everything. I would choose Jesus. I would look at, at this man who came to earth, who loved Mankind so much that he voluntarily gave up his life, yet at the same time, in all that humility, he had strength, omnipotence, omniscience. That's the God I want to serve. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful to see truth come with preference there. The God I prefer is really the true God. It's a wonderful yeah. feeling. Yeah. And I'm thinking just on... Just on the surface of this thing, uh, but just thinking about it, the surface really goes very deep. If you just think, okay, Jesus is God, apply that. That's going to, it will change. You know, if, if you're in that situation you're talking about, you know, where you're not a believer in anything, and then Jesus is God, apply that to your life. Your entire life changes. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the whole the whole idea behind Christianity. Jesus is God, apply that to your life. You know, and that's going to involve you, uh, you know, basically doing what he says, uh, loving him, doing everything that you can to make sure that you are righteous before him, or just putting him first, uh, you know, loving him as he loved us, and then trying to act like him in everything that he did. Yeah, and there's, there's a cliche that I think is accurate, that we become what we worship. Yeah. So if you make Jesus your God, you're going to start looking and acting like Jesus. It, the same is true of money. You know, if money is your God, then you're going to become a greedy, selfish person. Mm-hmm. If Allah is your God, you're going to be a lot like Allah. Um, so becoming what you worship in this case is an, is a really good thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think does that about wrap up that for you, or you got more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could, I could talk about there. that for hours, yeah. Uh, the next thing, though, that's not, you know, maybe not quite as uh, blatant or uh, quite as, as obvious as that is when you get down into verse 
5. Or we're talking about uh, Jesus here. Verse 4, let's just back up and read that. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, depending on what translation you're reading, it might say, did not overcome it. Or it might put it in the past tense, or the present tense, uh, whatever it is. But either way, we don't want to argue about the, the tense of the Greek word. What we want to point out here is just the simple fact that light and darkness cannot coexist. You know, and obviously Jesus is represented by the light here, and the darkness, the first thing I'm thinking of is when uh, Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Um, if you go into a dark room, uh, like like uh, out here in this hallway, we've got a light off right now. If you go out in the hallway and turn the light on, all of the darkness dissipates. It's not like you cut a light on and the light in some places can't reach the places where it's dark in the hall because of, of some unknown scientific phenomenon. Uh, every time you put light up against darkness, the light always wins. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, there's no chance for darkness to stand up in the face of light. You know, no matter how small the light is, you light a match in a pitch black stadium. It's not going to light up the whole stadium, but the immediate area around that match is going to be lit up yeah. uh, every single time. Isn't that because of the nature of what darkness is? Darkness is just merely the absence of light. That's all mm-hmm. it is. We're so afraid of it, but that's what it is, is the absence of light. So the choice that we're given here is not, you know, the choice between light and darkness is not the choice between something and something, but it's a choice between something and nothing. Yeah. If you choose the darkness, then you're choosing nothing, because that's what it is. It's a negative. Yeah. And all of us have been to these places where, you know, there's a cave, and you go into the cave, and you have the moment where you're going to experience absolute darkness. And nowadays, it's almost impossible on those on those tours or those vacations or whatever to experience that because of the mobile phones and everything. Yeah. And the last I took my daughter to a field trip to one of these caves and we got in and you know there was this big long introduction before turning the lights out in the cave. We're about to experience absolute darkness. Something that you can't see in nature except in caves and in you know other you know she named a couple of examples but she said, now, I want everybody to turn off their mobile devices. This is not going to work unless you turn off your iPad and your mm-hmm. phone and all this. So she went through this big, long thing, and then she they, this big, dramatic you know, uh, introduction, and they turned the lights off, and the lady behind me has got her iPad open. And there were a number of people around me shouting at her, turn off your... Turn off your mm-hmm. iPad. Close your iPad. And she wouldn't do it. I think she was afraid of the dark. But she Probably ruined so. the experience for everybody. That one little glowing screen diminished the darkness of that cave. That's how powerful light is mm-hmm. and how weak darkness is. So Jesus is something. Satan, darkness, sin, ignorance, that's nothing. And we're choosing Jesus over the darkness. What we're choosing is mm-hmm. something over nothing. It's really important to do that because we get we get afraid of the dark. 
Yeah. You know, it's like the guy in uh, Home Alone. Kids are as scared of the dark. <laughs> you know, we're afraid of the dark. But what is it? It's just, it's, it's just nothing. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and the encouraging thing for me is the fact that Jesus has overcome that darkness. And, you know, as followers of Christ, as, you know, fellow heirs with Christ, then we have also... You know, if Christ overcame Satan, then in Christ, all of us overcome him too. All of us overcome the darkness as well. We are the light of the world. Uh, you can look in First John chapter 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I, the, I mean, and this is John here writing again. And it just reminds me so much of this passage about Christ being the one that has overcome the darkness. And now, here we have, you are from God, he who is in you, which is obviously God, Jesus, the Spirit. He who is in you uh, is much greater than the one who is in the world. And I think we're really talking about the prince of the power of the air there and talking about Satan. Yeah, and that's a great place to... To end this introduction to the Gospel of John. We are looking forward to getting into this book, and uh, it's going it's going to get deep, and we are going to learn a lot about our Lord through this study. We are really appreciate you joining us, and we encourage you to continue to listen with us. If you want to give us a little feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at dkaiser at arcoc.com. You can email Andrew at akingsley at arcoc.com. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, We don't have that many followers right now, but if you follow us on Twitter, you can uh, see when the new episodes are up and get any news that's going on about the podcast. Uh, The Twitter handle is the66podcast. And then, of course, online you can find us at the66.net. Uh, Thanks a lot for joining us. We're going to get into John the Baptist next week and uh, find some comparisons between him and the one that followed him. That's next week. Thanks for joining us on The 66.